Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey, and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights, and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. On this week's episode, economist Emma Dillon drills into the figures from the National Farm Survey of 2021 and gives insight into how high farm gate milk price offset against inflationary costs of production. So overall, MLBs, generally we saw the beginning of the inflationary cost environment that is much talked about at present. And we saw that uh, particularly in the second half of 2021 with the post-COVID recovery and an increase in consumption, which was quite rapid. So overall, really, the higher input prices were generally offset by higher output prices at the farm gate, which was somewhat reassuring. And overall, then we saw varying increases in farm income across the main systems. And the systems that we would look at within the National Farm Survey are dairy, cattle, sheep and tillage. So overall, then on the dairy side, we saw an increase in family farm income on the average up 23 percent to about ninety seven and a half thousand euro. On the cattle side, then we saw varying increases up 30% on the cattle rearing, but off a very low base. So the average cattle rearing income in 2021 came in just under 11,000 euro. The cattle finishers performed somewhat better at about 16,500 euro, a smaller increase from 2020. And the sheep farm incomes were very healthy again in 2021. We saw their production costs up, particularly around feed, but overall the average income on sheep systems was about 20,000 and a half euro. On the tillage side, then, we saw a particularly good year with very good yields and good cereal prices. So there was a dramatic increase of about 70% on the average tillage farm income coming in at about €59,000. And when we think about dairy, you know, you've outlined, um, you know, across enterprise, but dairy dominates and I suppose continues to dominate in terms of the level of profitability you observe, Um, you know, I suppose for the a farmer who's looking at the ninety-seven and a half thousand euro for the National Farm Survey profitability, that and it's not, um, I suppose, comparable with their bottom line in the profit monitor. Can you identify some key differences, Emma, between National Farm Survey and profit monitor? Yeah, I suppose there's a few points to make around this, and I guess sometimes there's a focus on this family farm income number and what it is really representing. And so it's it's coming from the EU methodology. So the farm survey is part of the EU FADN, which is the Farm Accountancy Data Network. And this definition of family farm income has been around for many years. And really, it relates to the return to family labour management and capital investment in the farm business. And so we would adjust that family farm income, particularly on the dairy side, where there's elevated um, labour input. So on the average dairy farm, you've got an unpaid labour unit of about 1.4. And so that means there's about one and a half people unpaid working on the dairy farm. And so when you adjust the 2021 average dairy farm income, that comes in then at about 73,000 euro. Now, there's a hired labour component on farms as well. And and on the average dairy farm, the the paid hired labour component represented about a third of a labour unit. So again, that is factored into the cost. And again, we're talking about an average figure here, and there are many who will operate below and above that average figure. There will be very different structural differences, farm size, herd size, and again, that labour component. I suppose then to differentiate with the profit monitor, the methodology around the farm survey is based on the CSO census or farm structure survey in terms of the population of dairy farms that exist. And so the farm survey that we do 
is a, a representative sample of the national population. So we survey about eight to 900 farms, and each of those is getting a weighting factor in terms of farm size and system with, with a weighting factor individual to that farm, which, which scales it up then to the national level. The profit monitor, I suppose, is, is a different type of um, analysis. And you're looking at larger farms for the most part. I think the average herd size on the 2021 profit monitor was about 160, whereas the average herd size on the National Farm Survey in 2021 was about 90 cows, 90 dairy cows. And so they are very different cohorts of farms and you were benchmarking different groups of farms and different types of farms, I would say. Certainly the production costs went up in, in 2021 and there's no escaping that. And as we can see in 2022, that has continued to be the case. However, the differential between what the farmer received in terms of the milk price on average and the price that it cost them to produce milk was large enough to ensure that their gross output was elevated and in turn their family farm income was elevated. So in terms of averages on a cent per litre basis, the average production cost on the NFS dairy farm in 2021 came in at about 26.8 cent per litre with a net margin of about 13.9 cent per litre. And so costs went up on a cent per litre basis, the net margin went up because of that elevated average milk price. Just out of interest, Emma, you, you make reference to the sample population within the National Farm Survey. There are eight to nine hundred farms that are surveyed. How many of those are dairy farms? Yeah, so we've got a, a sample of about 300 dairy farms and the dairy farm sample is very representative uh, of the 15,500 dairy farms that are there. So so like for like, um, if you like, we, we have quite... A good representation of dairy farms. And to drill into it a little bit further, of those 300 farms, you know, how do you assess the performance? You know, what exact information are you extracting from those farms? Traditionally, the FADN would have been established to measure financial and technical performance on farms across farm size and system across EU member states. And so traditionally, then it would there would be a very much an economic focus to the type of data that we're collecting. So all about the livestock, the, the, the situation on the farm in terms of the structures that are there, the farm size, whether or not they're renting land, the, the UAA, the dairy forage area, then the economics in terms of the direct costs and overhead costs and a breakdown of all of those. And then farm demographics about household size, um, the demographic profile of the farm, whether or not farmers are employed off farm. And again, that is obviously more important on the non-dairy farms. And increasingly, we are seeing the National Farm Survey expanding its remit to take more account of the environmental dimension and also the social. And so there's a core FADN data set that we collect every year and all member states collect. But countries like Ireland and the Dutch are, are collecting a lot more than that, particularly around the environmental. And within the NFS, we, we um, produce a sustainability report every year which looks um, more in detail at the environmental dimension and also the social. In relation to farm viability, one of the KPIs that were presented in the National Farm Survey report, um, I saw that, you know, a farm was defined as either sustainable, viable or vulnerable. What is the definition of each of those? Okay, so again, the methodology around this has been around for quite a while. And the farm viability definition is that a farm business is defined as viable if the farm income can remunerate family labour at the minimum agricultural wage 
and provide a 5% return on capital invested in non-land assets. It's important to say that a farm with a very low income can be viable if the labour input and the capital investment is low, for example. And on the other hand, a farm can be unviable if its labour input or capital investment is particularly high. Over the years, we've also focused on a farm business who may not be viable, but is considered sustainable if the farmer or the spouse works off farm. And again, this is generally more important for non-dairy farms, although the spousal income on dairy farms is obviously very important also. The third category of farms then is vulnerable. And so a farm business is considered vulnerable if it's not viable and if there is no off-farm income within the house. And I suppose it's important to reiterate that that off-farm income relates simply to an off-farm job, off-farm employment, because of the, the kind of permanent nature of that, as opposed to something that may be more short-term, like something like social welfare. Although I would have to say, given the ageing profile of farms and the proportion of farms that have a household pension, about one third now on, on, on all farms, but only about 18% on dairy farms, I think we will increasingly have to think about this methodology and maybe include that pension income into our thinking around it. So at the moment, the focus really is on an off-farm job in terms of those definitions. I suppose one of the key points to say is that 42% of farms were found to be viable in the 2021 figures. And I suppose that is quite healthy, given that some years we see the proportions viable, sustainable and vulnerable are actually closer to one third. But I guess 2021 was a good income year and we saw an improvement in the viability going from 35% to 42%. But really, it's hard to see it going much higher because we are in such a good income year and next year what will happen will that gap be much larger it's very hard to say so i guess what i'm trying to say is that there are a stubbornly um static kind of cohort that are there in that vulnerable and and maybe to a lesser degree sustainable cohort and and you know that the 42 percent is across all enterprises what is the profile within the dairy sector Yes, I mean, that is a, a very good point. The, the system level picture is very much different. So in 2021, the proportion of dairy viable farms was actually 85%. And so it's starkly in contrast to the cattle rearing, for example, where the, the viable figure there was only about 16%. And so that's very much reflected as well in our regional figures, which are dominated by the systems. And uh, in terms of viability, the dairy farm cohort is very healthy, uh, particularly in a good family farm income year. And if finally, Emma, if we consider 2022 and, you know, you have made reference to inflation around costs and the cost of production, um, you know, we, we are also in a very healthy situation that um, our milk price has continued um, to be high and has increased, um, I suppose, it's crystal ball stuff now, but where do you see profitability in uh, 2022? Can we sustain the levels that we've observed in 2021? I think really the lessons of the last few years, even going back to the extreme weather that we experienced in 2018, 
it really underlines the importance of building resilience into our farm systems, you know, and that really this volatility is likely set to continue, be that price or weather volatility, and it really has dictated the income levels in the last few years. And you can see that with the, you know, the quite dramatic increases and decreases that we've seen, I suppose, particularly on the dairy and tillage side over the last number of years. Overall, I think the saving grace has been the, the relatively healthy farm gate prices that farmers are being received have been receiving for their produce and I think that would look set to continue I suppose if you're thinking specifically about dairy there's been a lot of supply constraints globally very much driven by weather in some countries and also environmental constraints and really the commodity price market has been quite positive and that really has reflected well then for Irish farmers be that around butter price and the farm gate price overall being quite good and we've seen that continue into 2022, and we would expect that to remain the case. However, that is not to trivialise the, the high input prices that we're experiencing. And really, it's very difficult to see those coming down anytime soon. You know, there are issues around global supply on the feed, obviously um, um, accelerated by the situation in the Ukraine, and also weather issues in the US um, where planting has been delayed. And even closer to home in Europe, uh, in France, there has been issues around drought. So the feed price you would expect to stay very high, I think, as the year goes on. On the fertilizer side, uh, again, we've seen prices maybe come back a little bit in the last few weeks, but at a time maybe where farmers are, are, are less needing to purchase fertilizer. I think one interesting aspect that came out of the farm survey data was that the stocks of fertilizer were quite high on farms in 2020 and even higher in 2021. So hopefully some farmers were able to purchase at a lower price than what we're seeing. But the fertilizer prices and the fuel prices look to remain high. And so the, the turbulence that we have been experiencing will, I would expect, continue into the next year. And it, it's really difficult to not see that. But on the positive side and on the other side of the equation, prices are good. And I suppose that is the saving grace. Now, I guess into the future and, and going back to that resilience question, you know, farmers need to be able to secure both their output and input prices. And we've seen perhaps some controversy around forward pricing and uh, farmers maybe not getting the best deal around some of the pricing in the last year and going into next year. And so I suppose they need to be able to secure a good input price as well as a good output price. And I think the new cap is trying as best it can to establish a good risk strategy and mechanisms and um, tools to assist farmers in, in mitigating that risk and in making um, the situation on farm as least volatile as possible, I guess, is the, is the best way of putting it. But overall, um, a little early to say on the non-dairy farms in terms of how the year is going to work out in general and on average, and this is not to you know, negate from any challenges that any dairy farmer has, but in general, the gap between what it's costing them to produce and what, what they're getting at the moment in terms of milk is large enough that there is a buffer there. But um, it is important to say that you know, different farms have different structures, different levels of investment. And if you think about that even, in terms of debt, two thirds of all farms have no debt, but two thirds of dairy farmers do. Uh, and, you know, we know that there are challenges there on the horizon around interest rates. Uh, but overall, the debt to farm income ratio for dairy farmers is quite positive. And I think it's important to also say that, you know, we're talking about average figures here for the most part within the National Farm Survey. But later on in the year, we will do dairy enterprise fact sheets 
which will interrogate some of this data uh, more closely and look at the top, middle and bottom performing firms and interrogate their costs and, and the pressures that are there for them in terms of the price, uh, both on the input and output side, uh, which may give um, a little bit more indication of where they are and a baseline then for 2022. So I think it's a it's um, a really interesting conversation, Emma, and really good to pick your brains and drill down into the headline figures. Um, an interesting point you you made at the at the um, conclusion there in terms of this is the average. So you know you might be at either side of that, and and also your reflection on the key costs on farms such as fertilizer and concentrates and i think people have taken the opportunity to um i suppose manage their um inputs better and you know more prudent and tactical use of um the likes of feed and fertilizer in their systems um you know the outlook is good for dairy and i think also i would just uh, encourage people to maybe take a look at the national farm survey presentation on the website you may not have the stomach for the full report, but there's an interactive presentation there, which does give some key figures around dairy structural change over the last number of years. And I think another interesting component is the regional breakdown. And there's some information there around costs uh, for the nuts two regions, northwest, east and mid and south. And some interesting change happening um, since quota abolition. And so there are figures there, I think, that farmers maybe could use in addition to the profit monitor and that maybe will help them benchmark against some of these farms. That's great. Thank you, Emma. That's it for this week's episode of the Dairy Edge podcast. And my thanks to Emma Dillon for joining me on this week's show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen on Apple and Google podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Emma Louise Coffey and join me next time for your Dairy Edge.